hello everyone this is Zifong and welcome to watching silent films podcast where uh, we pick a movie every week we watch it and simply talk about it that's the whole point and goal of this podcast and today i am happy to introduce to you bob hello bob hello bob hi you and of course i want to hi lily and thank you lily and returning with us is my co-host lily hello uh, yeah i want to introduce bob today just to join us on this uh merry adventure um one of the things i want to tell bob about is that one of one of my missions for this particular type of podcast is to raise awareness for silent films Mm-hmm. It is certainly a realm of movies that is not as popular as mm-hmm. the other types of movies, uh, even what I call, what we call the talkies, <laughs> which is uh, very popular out there, you know, with color, with widescreen. And uh, that's the kind of the modern movies where people just like that. They tend to veer towards that. In fact, just recently, uh, I was o- over at a friend's house and on Netflix, I actually searched for silent films. Guess what? There was only one, like literally Wow. Just one. I was like, Netflix is for all movies, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is kind of hilarious because when uh, Netflix first started as a uh, streaming service in the early days, like when it first started, I did search for silent movies then too. And I saw like hundreds, at least mm-hmm. hundreds, if not thousands. I don't know. I didn't count. So right. that goes to show you how the market, I think, has shifted uh, quite dramatically. Um Silent films, it was already a niche before, but now even more so than before. Because now you have uh, streaming services like Criterion. I think they have their own Criterion channel, which is now, I think, part of uh, under the umbrella of the Warner Brother, Time Warner Corporation. Time Warner owns like HBO now, Com- I think Comcast. I can't remember. They, there's all these big corporations. So they're all trying to come up with their own streaming service. Mm. Right. And right now, Criterion has their own. So that would be an illustration that, uh, and, and, and of course, the traditional disc distributions, you know, like the DVDs, Blu-rays that many, many uh, distribution houses have. Anyways, side notes. Um, so, so, yeah. So today, um, we are going to talk about Hexen. I think that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> 1920. Sounds right. 1920 to 22 21 it took like a couple years 22 yeah it took about a couple years yeah and then uh it's a swedish slash danish production i think and uh it's directed by benjamin uh i think that's how the guy pronounced it (laughs) when i was listening (laughs) to the the bonus tracks and stuff like that so that's the that's the movie uh, feature that we're going to talk about today. But before we get rolling and getting into that, uh, I do want to uh, just introduce Bob, and I already introduced him. But you know, tell us real quick uh, your you know five second sort of background on what what kind of uh, film background do you have in the sense that like what kind of things have you seen, and also things that you like more of. And uh, what what okay. what what was what is one of your fi- favorite silent films? Uh, okay, well, uh, let's say I'm 55 years old. I'm from Boston area, and um, I I like all kinds of films. Um, basically, from the beginning of film of the film industry, um, I don't have a particular love for silent films, but I like them as much as any other film. As far as Favorite films, probably The Gold Rush is one of my favorite. Uh, I think Charlie Chaplin is amazing. Excellent. Um, I, I like almost all of his films. 
Oh, yes. We will get to those. <laughs> we haven't even gone to this yet. <laughs> I don't yeah. think we've had one comedy yet so far. <laughs> no. Nope. No, not yet. Now, we, well, we, that's funny. Yes, that is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> so that's perfect. Um, and uh, Lily, you want to give a little bit of background, kind of a refresher for Bob and I guess the, uh, the rest of the audience, too? Sometimes we'll jump into these podcasts randomly, so I don't always know. Like what I do? I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, um, like, what was your, uh, what was the start of your interest in silent films and what got you into it and, you know, sort of your five-second overview of, like, what Bob was just saying. Oh, uh, yeah. What kind of interest you were in, in the silent film realm and all that stuff. Yeah, so, so when I reached out to you, when I saw your ad on NewEnglandFilm.com, I was actually looking for more production assistant gigs for working in the film industry and working on student films. And mm. I just happened to see your posts and I was like, you know what? I'm actually really interested in that. Cause I don't personally know a lot about silent films and I'm trying to work it, you know, work in the business. So it'd be nice to have this kind of, you know, this niche of also knowing, Hey, besides working in film, I know a bit about the older generation of film too. And I reached out, I work at, Audio Journal in Worcester, we're an online radio broadcast, so I was like, well, I'm already talking on the radio, maybe I can do a podcast, too. So, hopefully it's working out. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, Excellent. it's brilliant. Yeah, it's brilliant. And uh, So, when did you answer that, Lily? How long ago? Oh, my God. Was that uh, July? Summer, June? yeah. Sometime in the summer. Oh, okay. I, I figured <laughs> somebody who was going to be interested in working in film might potentially be interested in the history of movies, too. Since it's oh, very similar around, yep. mm -hmm. but I sort of did a blast to see whoever's interested, and then uh... so my my entry into silent films is very early on uh, when I in my early twenties. Uh, I think Bob, you've probably heard some of this before, maybe. So I might be repeating myself. Sorry <laughs> to you, anyway. That's okay. Not so, that's okay. <laughs> um, in the early twenties, uh, I was doing a lot of different things, but one of the things I really wanted to get into was I took a very brief intro to film class in high school and i've always wanted to sit down and actually watch the movies so i kept the book actually i had from high school it was by bruce cowain it's called a short history of movies i think it's now in the eighth or tenth edition or beyond that now probably that's the last few editions i had and in the back of the index of the the textbook as it were for these classes there's a the list of movies uh, organized by era and also directors so i literally started with the beginning of films like you know trip to the moon uh, great train mm -hmm. robbery blah 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 and just kept going and i like you know whoever directed this like Chaplin, i've seen everything he's done uh that's available to me in the uh, early 2000s at that point i was using netflix with the disc thing not the stream so you could like you know borrow at that time you could borrow eight discs out at a time so like that's mm -hmm. what i did i maxed it out i wasn't doing just a two or three <laughs> so i was just you know just one thing after the other and that, that really uh I think that's all I could do. I actually, I watched as much as I could to cover all the silent film era, and that's pretty much it. Like I, I didn't even go into the talkies because at that at that point I was like I was so overwhelmed. Like there's so many movies to watch, I couldn't possibly watch all of them. So my knowledge gap is actually from the talkies all the way to the 30s, all the way through probably when I say 70s and 80s. That's the largest gap of movies for myself. Wow. So modern movies mm. and also the the early uh, uh, era is, is kind of my jam, as it were. <laughs> All right. So let's keep moving forward here. Um, 
for the la- for the past week since the last uh, podcast, uh, either Lily or Bob, uh, if you had a chance to check out anything in the classic realm, by classic realm I usually mean prior to Star Wars. <laughs> that's a good. Unfortunately, that's a good line. not. That's okay. How about you, Bob? Do you have a chance? No, I haven't. Yeah, I had. Um, I also didn't have a chance, except I think I I had briefly uh, popped in uh, a few uh, discs of uh, what you might call it. I recently got a. Um, it's gonna like sound like a broken record because for the last few podcasts I've been saying I recently got a 3D projector, but it's true, it's a nice fancy toy, and uh, I I also got a few uh, 3D movies for it from the golden age or slash silver age of uh, the uh, the 3D film era. So it'd be stuff like um, it came from outer space that was in 3D, <laughs> but it was filmed in 3D, like two cameras. Mm-hmm. So not the green and cyan thing, but the actual right. stereo, you know, graphic. But anyway, anyways, they're all, they're all available on the Blu-rays in 3D, and they're all amazing. So I had a chance to check that out on the, the Mad Magician. 1953 and 54 is, is the golden age, where yeah. almost every single one of those big hits had, had to be in 3D. And, but anyways. I should, say, I, should, I should mention, I mean, over the last couple of months, uh, I've been on a – I've been – Watching uh, Alfred Hitchcock films. Mm, that's a, classic. A series with my brother. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Any of them, there is. I saw a blip where they're going to try to release uh, some early films of Hitchcock where he, he was either a production assistant. Uh, I'll have to check that out and link, link it to you guys. But I saw really? on the release calendar that his earlier work, like even before The Black Lodger, which is one of his earliest works, like in the super early era in British cinema, he was doing a lot of stuff, and uh, I forgot what it is now. But there's a bunch of titles I've never heard of before, even in, in the <sighs> Hitchcock. Is it Ooh, very interesting? Ooh. So, yeah, anyways, it sounds really good. Yeah, it's uh, due in December or something, so that'll be interesting to uh, to check out once it arrives. But anyway, so without further ado, let's dive into this movie uh 1922 Huxen. Mm. and uh, mm. of course it's uh spoilerful as it were and and uh because it's almost 100 years 97 so. years old yeah yeah it's almost 100 years so if you haven't seen it by now i don't know what to tell you so, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding it was you actually ch- it was actually not very widely available <laughs> so anyway so Our to- movies are not my genre in general, I don't like horror movies, but this isn't really a horror movie. No, as much as, um, it's, it's not. not really like a documentary. Sort of, yes, absolutely. That's actually one of the key things. So, what was what was your first impression upon just you know when you first uh, finished the movie? What was the one thought that popped up and said? What was your one reaction right away? Right after you finished it. Informative. Informative. Very good, Lily. Uh, funny. <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> that's excellent. That's that's. I was very... actually pretty. I was actually pretty creeped out by it. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't that the film was particularly scary. It was pretty comical, especially the the imagery of the devil sticking his tongue out all the time. Oh my gosh, that was so. Uh, yeah, that, that was, was so really... funny. <laughs> but <laughs> I was dying. But the the scenes of 
torture and punishment and was it really freaked me out it was like wow you know like i couldn't believe people were watching this in, in 1922 mm, wow but it is swedish it is not it wasn't for american audiences which is why there was actually nudity in it which is which is another shocker to me well there was uh this is all pre haze code in the Hays Code era, uh, that's when things got clamped down, especially in the United States, where most of the film output was. But prior to World War II, uh, in the, you know, the really the, around the 1940s, most of the uh, European cinema was pretty advanced, well advanced. Mm-hmm. And after the war, of course, all of the film industries got destroyed, so they had to kind of start over. Prior to that, right. uh, you know, especially people like the German film industry was very, very strong and so was the uh, Danish and, and Dutch as well. Like they're they're all um, kind of uh, progressing at astonishingly the same rate as the counterparts everywhere in the world. Essentially, mm-hmm. that's one of the things that we covered in the earlier podcast. Where it was, it's always been amazing to me that um, even though you've got this French filmmaker, they're doing very similar things to the American one, which is doing very similar things to the Chinese one, which doing very similar things to the German one. They're all like, even they're all not in the same uh, country, in the same locale, they're capable of innovating uh, in very much the same ways. And it's actually one of the things I love about silent films is just their ability to, uh, you know, to to, to pull something out of the hat. You know, they say that uh, necessity is the mother invention or how's that go? Necessity is the mother of invention, you said. Yeah, correctly. so, you know, I, I don't always know the phrases correctly, so I'll just spit it out and then see if you guys can pick up on if it's true or not. <laughs> so. and I find it interesting, what you seem to be pointing out is that film, and I always said this, transcends cultures. Absolutely. But also the way they innovate is amazing. Just the, the fact that somebody could, you know, do close-ups, and do mm. a lot of the silhouettes, like in this movie, mm-hmm. which is the same as uh, what the Germans are doing. It's the same as what the, a lot of the earlier, even the Griffith, the American ones, are. just the way yeah. they're uh, framing the movie. Film noir before noir was a thing. Well, this is way before that, of course. So exactly. <laughs> These are all uh, fathers or grandfathers of noir, and uh, mm. they would eventually inform uh all of those filmmakers much 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 later uh down the road in fact this is before uh joanne the ark which is one of the most famous silent films of all time it not exactly the same theme but very similar themes right of uh a person who is uh accused of something but then goes through this incredible torturous uh episode and the way that the the face is shown in a close-up was kind of shocking even for the audiences back then mm-hmm. uh which film itself was almost like witchcraft like mm. the, the very act of mm. showing movies with the big close-up of a person's face because remember back then people were used to just the stage which means mm. that even on the stage right. Uh, you were still removed from the person. But the fact right. that a film camera can blow a person's head up, you know, 50 foot or whatever it is, that creeped yep. a lot of people out. And Yeah, I remember, you know, early films, if they, you know, when they had the train coming at the screen for effect, the audience all ducked. Right. Because they weren't used to such things. So right. seeing someone's face right in the screen in their, in their face 
um, it's very unusual. Imagine really would freak people out. Yeah, it's it's uh, and, and some people got very uh, philosophical, uh, even with in with this particular movie, in the sense that they didn't want. It's almost like you're peering into somebody's soul <laughs> somehow that you're yeah. recording that there, because back then there were the 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 study of sort of the mysticism to them wasn't too far fetched from reality. Like mm. even though this movie talked about middle ages, the reality was around the twenties. People still live like it was the Middle Ages in some fa- way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. because of mm-hmm. how much has advanced, even from 1922 to, to all the way to now, right. almost 100 years later. You know how much more, and even at a uh, um, accelerated pace. What's the word? Exponential uh, rate of knowledge that we have. You know, right. like the whole notion that uh, the the witchcraft people had hysteria, which is a totally out of date medical term now. That doesn't really exist. Uh, in that, in the way that he was portraying in the movie, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so even his knowledge of what was supposedly modern then was totally out of is now totally out of date. So it's almost like the studies and research he did was like witchcraft unto itself. <laughs> mm. <laughs> the whole movie mm. it just turned out funny that way. But um, yeah, so. My take from the movie was I've never seen this movie. Um, a lot of these silent film movies that we're, we're picking through usually I have uh, I've seen, usually. But some of these I haven't seen. This is one of those I haven't seen and uh, I've heard of. It's uh, one of the masterpieces uh, of the silent film era, for sure. And certainly this director's uh, uh, masterpiece, for sure. He's He's done about, you know... Probably a handful, ten plus movies. Unfortunately, most of which is lost. Maybe one of them is around on YouTube, uh, Mysterious X or something like that, and maybe others, where he continues to innovate with uh, some of those techniques of silhouettes and mm-hmm. and close-ups and light and shadow and all that stuff. But uh, so my takeaway from this is that uh, it's 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 kind of. Uh, it, it has so much similarity to um, F for Fake by Orson Welles. Have you guys <laughs> no. ever heard of or seen that? Um, no. So Orson Welles, you know, is the, the wonderkin for uh, the uh, oh man, Citizen Kane. Citizen <laughs> Kane, yeah. Is, is, uh, War of the Worlds? Uh, yeah, sure. The radio realm. Yes, absolutely. Yep. But um, and he also conquered the stage where he did Othello by casting all black actors. Right. So he was a, a genius, wonderkin uh, talent in the creative arts. And uh, but later on in his years, towards his death, essentially, he uh, he made a few movies, one of which is called F for Fake, which essentially the topic of which is talking about uh, what is reality uh, when it comes to film like. And, and, and kind of the whole notion, not exactly what we think of fake news nowadays, but more just the notion of what is real. Like, is it just your perception of the truth is the truth? Or is it just like, you know, is reality separate from your perception of what the truth is? Anyways, it's a very fascinating look, that movie, uh, F for mm. Fake, uh, about what reality and truth is right. uh, in the realm, mm. in, in the way that Orson Welles perceives reality. And that's kind of how I view this movie, Hexen, because... It is this person, uh, Benjamin uh, Christensen's his take on uh, his treatise, really on uh, what is go- what what essentially is wrong with the world then, and also what is wrong with the world 
uh, then being middle ages when he was making the movie, but also then around the 20s when he was making the movie in his in his current uh, time, because he he tried to really make a link of back in the middle ages, uh, these witches were burned at stake for wrong reasons, like they went they really didn't um, you know weren't practicing witchcraft. Uh, a big percentage of them were just uh, falsely accusing one another. And they all, you know, got taken away, and uh, mm-hmm. and and because of uh, kind of just pointing fingers, it's the kind of the mass hysteria or mass the sort of the mob mentality of, you know, uh, you know, the Salem witch trials. Yeah, yeah, which came from you know the Europe. It, it swept right. over from Europe, and, and certainly uh, in that realm, that's kind of what he was talking about. But he also relayed that to the modern era of his time of like where people would have would be shamed to have some sort of uh medical conditions or or right. or uh sort of you know they they could have symptoms of something that uh could be cured or be, could be it's not right. treated or cured but but people at society are shaming these people because they have these the ailments that's that's exactly which they didn't understand mm-hmm. yeah and that's the really my takeaway of the movie it was it was astonishing for a 1922 movie is that beyond you know all the imagery beyond the kind of what we now is kind of like silliness and all that stuff that's kind of the motif and the theme of the movie that's the thing that's the element of the movie that freaked me out right. was that he really touched very well on the fear of something that's different being something satanic right and that people were literally being killed for it. And not only that, more horrible than that is that they were being questioned and what's the word I'm looking for? Induced to give the answer that they wanted to hear, regardless of how much they resisted. They broke them. Yeah. It, during the interrogation, they interrogated them to break them, right. which is, you know, it's pretty horrifying. But even if you take it to modern day, that's still kind of, in yeah, some ways, uh, especially like if you look at the, not the whole movement, but certain parts of the, the whole Black Lives Matter thing, yeah. where you've, you've got cops and they snatch up, you know, black people thinking, oh, these guys did the crime. In fact, the police themselves have some sort of bias, right? They just think that exactly. anybody black is doing this. And, and during the, like, Central Park Five is a perfect example where uh, these kids are just playing around. I don't know if you know that case, but you can Google around. I do. I Lily, do. do you know about that one? I've heard of it. Yeah, it's it's a case essentially where the kids are were snatched up by the cops thinking they committed some other crime, but they're just black kids. And they're basically have been convinced through the, you know, similar to the witch trial in the Hexen movie, like, you did this, you did this, and if you confess, they you'll were, get less of a sentence. Yeah, they were pre-convicted. Yeah. So, yeah, so like, even now, I feel like that's kind of the, the link, as it were, to modern day from that movie till now is kind of the message sure. that, that mm-hmm. this filmmaker was trying to make a point of that that uh, you could be falsely accused of something that you didn't do. And uh, you could be tried and convicted uh, even based on that, you know, in, in whatever court of uh, opinion, uh, mm. as it were, that was yeah. on there. No real court. Right. So what do you think of that, Lily? Um, I, I agree with everything. It, this movie made me, you know, very aware of what we teach in Salem. Uh, so Bob, I'm an actor and I do prehistorical 
uh, reenactments of like the Puritan monologues from the witch trial. Oh. So of course wow. I do my research. So seeing this film, you know, and getting that feedback, you know, back to myself comparing Salem to Europe, it's just everything is so similar. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, I just agree with everything is what we were talking about before. They alluded everything to Satan because they felt like, oh, if you're a good person, why would this bad thing happen to you? It basically one example was, you know, this guy, John, he's walking down the road. He trips and falls. He breaks his ankle. Oh, well, that has they would believe that was the power of Satan. You know, why would something bad happen to him? Otherwise, he did something wrong. It it was very. That's how they thought. Hmm. Even though it just, he just tripped, you know, he did it to himself. Oh no, that was Satan's work. Someone must have bewitched him to do that, and that's when they would start pointing fingers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is just funny that historically, mm-hmm. from like the what was it like the sixteen hundred, seventeen hundred, all the way to the eighteen hundreds, for a period of a couple hundred years, there seemed to be this massive sweep across you know the western world i guess maybe of all of these uh accusations that ended up with a lot of innocent people burnt at the stake a lot of which is can be for political reasons too you know beyond that Mm -hmm. or just you know it's just stuff like that although you know since then uh they have distributed a number Uh, the eight million dollar eight million dollar eight million people uh was a little bit overestimated there was this one statistician who was basically taking a guesstimate and it wasn't really based on any fact so it's probably closer to something like not that it's lessens the problem you know it's that's not saying that it's not a big problem but it was but it wasn't like eight million people big it was something like you know hundreds of thousands or something like that it was like forty thousand people or something or a couple hundred thousand i I can't Mm -hmm. remember the figures now if you check out the Criterion Edition, the uh, commentary points out, and also the some of the um, the text or pamphlet that came with it mm-hmm. does point that out too. Is that mm-hmm. the figure is a little bit overestimated? But also uh, on top of that, uh, the research that uh, Benjamin uh, Christensen, the director, who also played the the devil uh, Satan in the movie, uh-uh. okay. <laughs> he's the same yep. guy, but he also played Jesus in one brief few seconds. So mm-hmm. he was both. <laughs> Jesus and Satan. This is quite interesting. Not many people have that in their credits. <laughs> yeah. For, for the movies yeah, yeah. I, I think he thought that was kind of funny. So, um, sure. This is one of the most expensive productions ever uh, in the history of you know Swedish uh, Dutch cinema. No Up to that point, yeah, they uh, spent a huge amount of money because he's had success before that. He had a few movies before this. And he was very popular in terms of theater. Um, it's it shows. I mean, in the first in the first ten to fifteen minutes, that was one of the things I said to myself: "Is wow, the production quality on this is outstanding." Oh, I spent a huge amount of money uh, mm. up to that time. I mean, for for nineteen twenty two, I said this is really good quality. Yeah. So. So, I'm, go ahead. And, and, and on that note, too. I was amazed that he had a lot of scenes in straight black and white, but he obviously used a red filter for certain scenes and a blue filter. For oh yes, the tinting, exactly. The tinting to to yeah. break up the monotony of the black and white. I thought that was very clever. 
Well, you know, the that tinting was common. Uh, Lily knows about this because we talked about it to death before. Yeah. But <laughs> it's... Uh, that, that was a regular... Yeah, from method. the 1910s all the way to the, through the 20s, uh, what a filmmaker would often do is uh, take scenes, like if it's uh, nighttime, usually it would be bluish, okay. darkish blue. And they, when they tint thing, things, he would actually take the film negative and color it in manually. So Ooh. you have a team of hundreds of people coloring every wow. cell, uh, every frame of every copy of the movie. So imagine if you're doing a single print that's, you know, a thousand wow. foot long, whatever it is. But now you've got to make copies for international audiences. You've got to make copies for every city, right? So every single print, every single frame has to be physically manually colored in. Fantastic. Yeah. So anyways, that's a very common thing back then for highlighting themes like daytime would be gold or something or happier times and red is some it, it, whatever that color symbolizes and that more, more generic common term is what they do intend to have the colors to be in there so this is a, a very common thing for silent movies if i felt like yeah. this film did it more dramatically and more maybe more obviously than a film such as the gold rush yes i, mean, I don't remember the if gold rush, i don't remember noticing it i remember noticing it in this that's the so yeah, I, I, I can't remember because it's been a long, long time since uh, I've seen uh, Gold Rush if there was tinting in that. But the tinting usually is intentional when 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 the, when they're uh, restoring uh, silent films like this. Usually mm-hmm. they'll take note of that and say they usually try to look at the original uh, notes from the filmmakers. And if they have a research backing up that the tinting ought to be done, they'll follow those notes and allow those tinting to, to kind of remain, I guess. Gotcha. to restore it um but in this in some situations like kino is a house that will often respect that if there was no notes to be found they'll simply leave them black and white but actually if you look at the nitrate itself you can actually see that the tinting was inside there <laughs> mm-hmm. they just didn't want to uh make a decisions on what color it is because they don't have those notes hmm. but tinting has always been th- like this desire to have sound in color was always there in the silent film in the beginning. Like they've always had desire to have sound and colors. So when those right. things finally caught up, they were happy. Uh, a lot of filmmakers were. But anyways, um, so go ahead. you were you were mentioning the cost of the film um, at the time. Uh, do you do you happen to have a equivalent like calculation of how much that would be in today's market? Oh, I don't know. I haven't. I okay. didn't do the translation. Uh, okay. conversion to the modern times but uh okay. i was just curious the next big one might be uh i can't remember now i i just i just read it the other day but <laughs> there's there's many many big productions probably ben-hur would probably be the next one the oh. silent the silent version of ben-hur not the right the Jonathan original Heston. Ben-Hur, yeah right. yeah so mm. um the interesting part, just going scene by scene, was in the very beginning when that lady was trying to look for the um, love potion, I guess. Right. The pious man wasn't that attractive to begin with. No. <laughs> so I was like, no. He was why would you, why would mean, you really, want a love potion Pouring his drink that? all over himself. And his, <laughs> that's kind he of He must have comedy. stunk like awful. Yeah, that's part of the comedy. Like, I think but, it was kind of. Well, you know, I guess people back then weren't that choosy. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in the Middle Ages, right? Right. Um, the other thing of note that uh, I found interesting is the different sources of the materials, especially the imagery of sort of the devil and sort of the apocalyptic nature of things. 
I felt it was kind of out of a lot of the. Have you heard of the Bosch paintings in the Renaissance mm-hmm. era? I've heard of them. I haven't. I'm not familiar. So with them. basically, yeah. it's one of those artists from the Renaissance era and the you know, all the way from the you know 15th, 16th century, all the 17th, 18th, where they paint. He he. This guy tends to be focused. He is one of many artists. He's not the only one, but he's just most well known. Right. And, yep. To 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 paint like um like a. a, a animal head like a pig head on top of a devil and and uh right. pitchfork oh, okay. stabbing gore it's very gory usually yep. and it depicts this uh insane sort of depiction of hell and right. uh kind of very, very complicated paintings yeah exactly yeah. so it, it, this this movie reminds me a lot of those influences which Right, which has ties. I think there's some ties to that book and resources that uh, Benjamin Kaisen tried to do. In fact, um, the reason. Yeah, so, go ahead. Is it possible that some of the imagery, uh, the Renaissance paintings you're talking about, were actually used in the film? No, because uh, that's the next thing I was going to talk about. Is that oh. the the way that this director he was at that at, before he made this movie he was. He made a few movies that were very popular. He was trying to look at the uh, sort of look at the next piece of work that he was trying to do, and he couldn't really find it except in a bookstore one day. He found this copy of sort of witchcraft and the history of the witchcraft throughout the ages. Essentially, it's kind of a subtitle, and I think it was Melias or something. I forgot the title of it. But it was one of the many many books that he was researching. He really got into it. And he thought it was so palatable and that he really wanted to do more research into it. And so in his mind, what he wanted to do is write a screenplay and then had have uh, the uh, literary people back his research up. Like the, the actual sort of, uh, 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 you know, middle age historians would actually know about those details to yeah. actually back up his re- screenplay and research. And none of them would. He would ask around all the universities and, and higher eds, and nobody would. They're just like, what is this? Because film at that point was so new that people didn't know what it was. And so they were, they were kind of maybe not afraid of it, just didn't really care for it. And so asking around all these uh, historians, are like, hey, can you back my research up? And they're like, no, I don't want to do that. At the end of the day, it, it, what happened was he, he ended up doing the research himself. So he he actually in the movie it, it referenced that in the uh, program that you have, it says that you have uh, what was it? Um, you can re- reference a uh, movie program, which is a physical print. If you go to the theater uh, watching this movie, and it had it actually cited something like fifty sixty sources of primary research he did for the for this movie. <laughs> so it mm-hmm. wasn't something that was just like based on a single book. It was the single book was right. a jumping off point which led to multiple searches. But in, in modern eyes, uh, I forgot. There's a couple of guys who a few years ago in 2011 or during their college thesis days, they watched this movie and they were really fascinated by the primary research that uh, the director did. So they actually sought those original resources out and actually did their own research. So they basically double-checked this director's original primary research. Mm-hmm. It turns out all of the research that this director did was based on what's called spiritual type uh, research. Like uh, all the sources you use, he used, wasn't 100% like historically accurate fact-wise. 
But then the problem was that that was a much it was as much as you could get his hands on. There was no Google, there was no internet, mm-hmm. and the academia of back then was quite limited. And the fact that a lot of them wouldn't sort of help him do it, and so he was kind of this amateur researcher, you know. And he did as as best as he could, but a lot of research he did was based on that. So as much as it is kind of accurate, there's a lot of gray area and a lot of assumptions he did. Mm. And so in 2011, they published this like fat book, they call it the big fat book of this movie, making of this movie. And it talked about a lot of those things, kind of de- deconstruct some of the mythology that he he dove into. You know what I mean? And so so most of it is fairly accurate, except there's lots, lots of leaps, especially when it comes to stare at the medical part. Because since then we've obviously have a lot advanced a lot medically, you know what I mean? True. But so that yeah. was the big thing was that um the uh the research that he did was good but like for then, but not for now, because a lot of it turned out to be not quite accurate. <laughs> Just mm. by the virtue of time and also yeah, ex- exponential increase of knowledge. Um, one of the witches later on was Maria Weaver, that uh, homeless lady that got accused of being a witchcraft, which was apparently very common. Her, a lot of her shots or close up of her heads was like Joanna of Arc. If you remember seeing right. Joanna of Arc, the movie, it was basically this person suffering and a lot of people in tears, <laughs> a lot of people crying everywhere. That sort of motif and that imagery was very uh, striking, I would say. Definitely. Um, that when they reviewed Joan of Arc, some of the reviewers were like, well, this Benjamin Christensen already did it 10 years ago in Hexen. Mm. Some of them uh, hmm. wrote a review like that, basically. But um, So what's what's the one sort of shot that really stood out for you guys in this movie? One, one imagery or shot or something. Right. Go ahead, Lily. Um, probably just the way that they drowned the witches. Right. Uh, even mm. though they weren't witches, because there weren't any witches at all, ever. <laughs> just mainly the imagery of that, of how they showed the woman being, t- her arms and legs being tied to her, her hands being tied to her ankles. And right. the adage was, you know, if she floats, she's a witch. But if she sinks... Oh, you know, God bless her soul, basically. (laughs) That's that's how it was. (laughs) That's a no-win scenario. No-win scenario. Um, I think... No, you can go. (laughs) I I think for me it was... I think the scene that stood out the most was, you know, the the woman who was coerced to give a confession talked about the the coven uh, going in one by one and kissing the devil's butt. Oh, yeah. You know? And I yeah. thought, oh my goodness, you know, 1922, and they have this scene that's really, <laughs> <laughs> like, I cannot believe that I'm watching this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Absolutely. For me, it's probably the um, the baby cooking. <laughs> that, uh, I was, was like, yeah. huh. I mean, it probably wasn't a real baby, but still, it was like, that's yeah. quite interesting, even for today, to watch yeah. more. <laughs> they're like... I, I have to say also that the scene, right off the start, the scene you already mentioned where the woman was looking for the love potion, right before that, they brought in a corpse. She cut off the finger. Oh, yeah, the thief. And sniffed it of the thief. And she was like, 
they didn't take this corpse down in time. And she uses it to make a potion. And I'm like, this is horrible. (laughs) Yep. Any of those. I think another part lead, you know, making one of the potions was they said part of the love potion was, I don't know, cat feces. And I was like, what? Mm -hmm. That's, that's just, (laughs) that's disgusting and awful. How is that love? (laughs) Yeah. Here's some love. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the guy thought the guy tasted it, thought it tasted funny, but all of a sudden he wanted her. <laughs> That's crazy. This tastes weird, but wow, she looks good. <laughs> but I did like the, a lot of the imagery they used in the very beginning too. But you know, I was making cracks at the images myself because you know there's like the first devil you know he's i don't know he's got a staff he's walking i'm just like hey he's going to work and then the horned <laughs> devil showing a book to a pastor a priest and i'm just like eh, he's looking for directions <laughs> and then the i don't know science i think 3000 right? <laughs> Mystery Science 3000. <laughs> and then, yeah, what the some the other woman looking astray, and she's like, oh no, oh dear, as the devil turns scratching his butt. <laughs> just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they, you know, the people's beliefs in the devil were so strong that they saw him everywhere. I think that's mentioned right, right in the movie as well. I was like, yep, that was true. Yeah. Yeah. There is a uh, one scene where uh, the well, first, the silhouette thing was very striking. It, there are many, many scenes where, like, the torture chamber, essentially, where all the, uh, I guess, they're priests, I guess. They're, they're congregating, and they're about to torture these people. And there's a lot of spokes and wheels and stuff that's in the mm-hmm. foreground. And it's silhouetted, and then there's the background of... That's the thing about, like, about these movies. These are one of the many movies, like, we, we just recently reviewed, where many of these movies we just saw, they had a lot of background and foreground activity like at the same right. time there's just always this contrast of tons of stuff happening in the ground t- uh, uh, background ton of stuff happening in the foreground and then more so in this movie than the other scene that really popped out i mean it was the witch flying scene was a ton mm. of witches and then there's this uh flying all over the place and then there's yeah. a silhouette and so they shot all of the all those t- plates separately like you talk about special effects that's what they were doing back then where like um the uh they shot all of those separately so they had a plate of the silhouette they had a plate of they built a massive miniature or bigature or whatever you call it a spinning thing of the city it's all fake because they couldn't even at that time they no longer had a town that looked like ancient middle ages they had to build it from scratch like miniatures Mm -hmm. and they would build it in a large wheel and would spin the wheel so it looked like you were flying the scenery was flying by you and then right. for the witches, they would film each witch individually, and the camera would move, the witch wouldn't move. So the witch is stationary, and you, the camera would sweep from the left to right to right. create the illusion that the witch was actually flying. And at the end, composite everything in into a single shot. So that's like, you know, you talk about special Space, effects. Early special effects, right? Yeah, and we're doing that even in the, uh, the uh, a Trip to the Moon. I mean, they were doing that in the late 1800s, you know, 1895, 1898. We've seen many of those, Lillian and I, anyway. Mm. So it's like not new, new. It's only 20 plus years beyond, and they're still using that technique, which is pretty amazing. But like even today, the computer visual effects 
there's not much different. I mean, they've got green screen, but it's still a plate. You shoot a plate, you can composite it all together. Mm-hmm. Right? Not much has changed. <laughs> Except for the right. te- technology computer, you know. But other than that, the technique itself hasn't really changed. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting, though, about the composites. And something else I, you know, I liked about this movie was just the special effects makeup that they used, especially oh, yeah. on Benjamin Christensen, uh, Swedish. Well, all uh, of them, yeah. Yeah. All just of those everything fantastic for the devils. scenes, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the costumes and set design. And also, like, there was a very brief uh, stop motion animation of the devil breaking through a door if you notice that oh yeah that that was a little weird <laughs> yeah that was kind of like, creepy but that's stop animation that wasn't uh mm. live action or anything that was like like we we saw stop animation back in the 1903s there was a short clip of that but it's evolved now i think so they put a little bit of that in there <clears throat> too in this movie mm-hmm. that's pretty cool But With the um, well. wonder how much the the technology, what you were saying, the the moving town on, on the large wheel, you know, uh, whether they used that uh, for the the tornado scene in the Wizard of Oz when the witch was outside the window, yeah, flying I, by on a broom. Yeah, I haven't really, I haven't <laughs> really uh, studied the that, but that's already. That's at least another decade down the road, I think, right? 1936? Um, what was it? 39. 39. So that's another, yeah. that's almost another, close to another 20 years down yeah. the road already. Yeah. And by then, the, the, so much more advancement has taken place. <laughs> so, right. That's, that's much, much later. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny because they have. It doesn't look, it's in color and all, but it's not that much more sophisticated when you see the cow, which is obviously just standing like I'm standing in a field flying by in the tornado. Right. And it obviously you'd, you'd say, hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know how they did it, but I, it wouldn't surprise me if they have very similar... Tactics I'm just because... saying that he, in this film, he stayed to the witches, things that were flying, which in a way is better than a movie that was done almost 20 years later. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about surprising about silent films is that there are many, many silent films where they pioneered, but also uh, did did all of these special effects so well that it's like, wow, like they were already doing that then prior to sound. You know, and that by the time sound comes along, if anything, it would be an evolution or uh, improvement uh, even more, building on top of what has already been achieved, you know, by the sound of film era. And going back to the quality as well, I mean, uh, the quality, um, the thing that was hard, another part of the horror of it was, I don't know how they made the people look so much like they have like almost sharpened teeth when they smiled. All right. I mean, yeah, there's black paint and everything but usually you can see that clearly and it, it looked to me like they picked people that had really bad teeth to do these <laughs> scenes yeah it's uh probably not an accident when when you see stuff like that that yeah there are a lot of things those things are uh very much intentional 
All right, so at the end um, of this movie, what do you think about the whole uh, thesis, I guess, or the conclusion or the the point he was trying to make at the end about hysteria and all that? So what do you think about that whole last portion, the last part? I thought it was kind of sad that the woman knew that she had something wrong and she was uh, attributing it to almost being basically like being possessed. Right. Um, because she didn't feel in control, but the doctor was very dismissive of it and said, you know, well, it wasn't a doctor. It was um, like um, a cat. He was a, a monk or something. A chemist or something. Yeah. He, he was very dismissive and he, and he said, look, I'm not, I'm going to ignore what you've said. Just don't come back to my shop. Oh, you're talking about the um, the woman who the, tried to steal the jewelry, right? Like it's the scene where right, the, in the jewelry but, shop. So he's the jewelry shop owner. Oh, that's right. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. So he, he lets her go, but right. She's she's saying she was like a kleptomania, <laughs> and then you yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's because of this hysteria, and he was like, uh, sure, I'll let you go. <laughs> right. But he ended by saying so many people still said or said, but. Said, you know, the devil made me do it. Right, exactly. Yes. So this craziness tied in. Basically, it's a, for, a, a form of insanity tied in with this um, superstition. Right. What they see as superstition, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Jury's still out on that one. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Uh, in in modern days, there's a. Um, if if you look up hysteria now and sort of cross sort of referencing modern times, it really no longer a term in the 1980s. They said they changed that uh, hysterical neurosis to conversion disorder. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. So no kidding. It's basically um, patients who have neurological issues that potentially could be a psychological trigger. Like, it's not it's not like a like a physical thing but if your brain thinks that it could be then it could be it could it can potentially manifest itself physically which is the the thing that the movie talks about where it's like you know the person thinks that they're uh they can't feel anything on their back right with the needles right. so they test mm. it all and he's like I can't feel anything <laughs> uh. so that's the whole that's the current term for it anyway it's called conversion disorder or CD or functional neurological symptom disorder. <laughs> and I just think it's funny that it starts off, the well, not funny, I mean, interesting is a better word, that it starts off talking about witchcraft in the Middle Ages, and it ends with psychology. Right. Something medical. Right. Yeah. That's the, that's the tie, I think, it wants to try to make. So do you think that it was a convincing argument at the end of the day? With this this movie's premise, if it it was yes. a argument, I thought I think it was. I think it was. I think it was very well done. I think it. it I think it makes a very good statement about uh, the ignorance of the Middle Ages and how we've come a long way to seeing what was true or what they believed. And how about you, Lily? Um, I would have to agree with that as well. Everything 
that was said in the movie, I just I was kind of nodding my head along to it, you know, just pointing, you know, people pointing finger against, uh, pointing fingers at each other, trying to alleviate their, what do you call it, their stress and their anxiety about being captured as, you know, a quote-unquote witch, and mm. that's just how it spread so far and wide. Um, what else? Um... Yeah, just the hysteria, just everything because of it is bad. I don't know. My brain's not working right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, okay. it's it's an interesting term, this this term, because it originates from a Greek word for uterus, which has a lot. To, it's not totally an ancient word, but it has a lot to do with women, sort of women and all that <laughs> stuff, and which is the whole thing about witches, right? It seems mm-hmm. to be. In the studies, especially in these books that's referencing, at least that, that big fat book that they were researching about the background of this movie, they tend to sort of bring some of this up, which is, I didn't read the whole book, I just saw blips, synopsis and bits and pieces of it. And one of the things that it talks about is the whole hysteria notion of like, like only women is, you know, affected by mm-hmm. this because of the, 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 and there's all these like right. kind of sexist presuppositions right. that, Right, women it, it can only be sinful. right, and the whole right, and the whole notion, and it all ties into like you know this and that, and so when the film was released, uh, like in places that had deep and deeply entrenched with Catholic churches or churches of all kinds of kinds, they were an uproar. They were like, "This is clearly uh, something against the church," and they're really like, you know, uh, they 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 certainly. Uh, made a big stink about it, and so it prevented this movie from even more popular, being more popular than it could have been. I think in, mm-hmm. in the time that it re- was released, and it made a lot of cuts. They they wanted the censors. There was no right. like haze code censor, but they had um sort of the 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 mom mentality public censor basically saying you can't release based on this. So they they ended up cutting a lot of stuff out. Yeah, which yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, through history, they preserved some prints that had all this uncut elements, which is now yeah. the cuts are seen. Well, now. You might have to you might have to beep my next comment out, but I thought it was shocking and yet funny that at the end, because I was watching a translation at the bottom, but I was watching it with the Swedish wording in the center, uh-huh. and the end was slut. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. There, there's certainly uh, a lot of Freudian type elements because by then he's already been very popular in in the in the popular consciousness uh, of the era, and so there are many elements even of this movie that had certainly ties to all those things as well. So yeah, so that's uh, that's kind of the 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 conclusion uh, that you know it's it's a classic masterpiece in. You know, what determines, you know, what is uh, a documentary or is it a fictional movie or is it a movie that presents itself as a documentary but then has seeming like reenactments, you know, through yeah. some people, some reviewers said it's almost like in modern day anyways, like if you watch History Channel, there's the universe Well, you can't right. really show the universe. You have to you have to dramatize some of it. So some right. of the History Channel specials will often dramatize past events. So I think that's kind of yeah. a category this falls into i agree is like it, mm. it talks about history but it has to dramatize some of it yep. to show you kind of to illustrate the point perspective it's trying yeah, to there's go no at. there's no continuous story through the thing 
Yeah, it, there's yeah. there's so. like it's disjointed, right? So you got this love potion thing, and then later on you got this uh, Maria. Uh, uh, what's her? What was her name? Street Maria Weaver, I guess is the character's name. Who is like this homeless person that this this family tried to feed and take in, but then ended up accusing. And there was this element of like, if you sweep a witch off their feet, they don't have power, which is why they put them in these carts, literally sweeping, put the bag over their head and sweep them off their feet mm. to, to get rid of their witchcraftery mm. powers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of just, <laughs> no, like what they believed in back then, they, you know, it's just, was, uh, <laughs> but it's all has to do with their education and it pr- you know, that's of course. If you're not educated, obviously you believe everything. Right. Yeah, and I found it interesting that at that time period, the even in that time in the twenties, there's still this element of believing in that sort of thing could be it's still kind of real and, and like living and walking amongst you like that kind of supernatural part. No, still even now. Well, of course, now. But I'm talking about then, there's this... Uh, it's less so now, especially in the United States, because there's this overwhelming notion that science and stuff like that. But back then, that part was only starting out. And there are, are schools of thoughts where we were still sort of... There's this mysticism that they feel like potentially happened. Especially like... Um, oh, what was that movie? I can't remember now. One of the L- Nolan movies about magician. What was that called? The magician? No. The, the uh, illusionist? No, that's the other one. The one. Oh, the. Um, How was it called? Prestige? Yes, Prestige. There you go. <laughs> so in the movie Prestige, and same thing with the illusionist too, but like it was the era of time. It was coming out of Victorian era and it's entering into the modern age where uh, they did magic with the sleight of hand tricks, but they had this uh, incredible notion to try to believe in this, like supernatural could still like in reality happen in real life. And I think like one of the movies we saw in the past, one of the shorts, I think, had a person that was believing in that school of thought. I think I forgot what that was. There was a short member, Lily, in the beginning. I'm trying to think, was it the man who was having his he- putting his heads on the table? Was it that one? Well, I can't remember now. It's got to be one of those. I feel maybe like it's an Edison one. Maybe it is, yeah. But there was a there was a particular artist in there who was trying to demonstrate. Um, I think it might have been the Santa Claus one, maybe. But anyways, the the, <laughs> the point is it was this person who was using film to illustrate his belief. Uh, in his, there's a particular school, a literal school, where they were teaching all these things, these spiritual realm things. And it was like... I subscribe to this and this is real and you know you, you have less of that today I think <laughs> compared to the the times back then where they would have this uh, sort of itch I guess to try to believe in that you know so anyway that's my take on it is that it it is a interesting uh, documentary slash dramatization of a a piece of communication that this artist really wants you to know and he spent a, a good couple of years of his life trying to work on yeah. it and try to convince you it is you my opinion it is worth seeing for anyone who likes silent films oh yeah well certainly one of the tops you know it's um and people 
do try to relate this to the German expressionists, except that, you know, when Lily and I watch some of those other ones, the expressionistic movement tends to actually paint the shadows physically on the sets. Mm. <laughs> so it's a little mm. bit different. So German expression has its own style and attributes tied to it that it's not exactly the same, even though it does have, it does play with light and shadow a lot. And that's, that's kind of as, as much as uh, you can get to it. But the thing about this particular one has, is more like a Renaissance painting in some of the scenes, uh, not all of them. And there's this tableau and uh, we had used this term before, but in Renaissance painting, there's the notion of the chiaroscuro, which in art is like this, the trying to paint um, shadows in paintings, uh, especially when you have clothing draped on a person mm-hmm. and the painting tries to uh, draw the shadows of the clothes as, as it falls on the person as the light hits it. And so that's kind of the, the texture that you see in these movies here, especially this one in some of the scenes where the clothes are ruffling and then you've got shadows just dancing mm. all over the clothes. And it's, it's definitely uh, some of that at play mm. in the, the light and shadows. But anyway. I'd have to, I'd have to be watching for it. Yeah, it's um, it's uh, very common apparently with the artists of this. They all kind of cross influence one another. I think once they've seen one, they try to one up one another. All right, folks. Any lasting parting thoughts before we uh, wrap this up? Any last words? Mm, let me see. Um, one thing from one of the intertitle cards that I liked, I put it as one of my top, you know, top part of my note was, you know, whenever man comes across something incomprehensible, the result is always sorcery and evil spirits. And I just wanted to comment on that was definitely how it was in the Middle Ages. Um, you know, everything was alluded to the mysticism, as we were saying. So this, you know, once again, this. Uh, Christensen did an excellent job at portraying how it was back then with the dramatizations mm-hmm. because uh, just alluding back to the Salem witchcraft trials too it I was just n- nodding my head in you know recognition of this is what happened in America and you know this happened before in Europe uh, we didn't burn anyone in America, but we hanged a lot of people for witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that when you take a topic, and I think this the person who made this film did this, you accentuate you accentuate um, you, you kind of blow it up a bit because I mean. The number of people that died, and it wasn't that widespread. There were places where it was worse than others. But I think that when you focus on it, you can make it seem like it was much more widespread than it was. Oh, yeah. So I think that the, it might have been, I feel like it was an exaggeration when I heard that line, like everything was alluded to as, you know, witchcraft. Um, I'm, there were, I'm sure there were a lot more reasonable voices but it didn't seem like it when when the subject matter is what is being focused on. I don't know. That made a lot of sense. It didn't stay that well. But Yeah, that makes sense. It's essentially just... Um... You get tunnel vision when it's the subject of the conversation. Yeah. Mm. 
Because, yeah, Salem was an exceptional example. But certainly in very conservative areas, people would be afraid of witchcraft, sure. But I don't think people were going around accusing people of witchcraft everywhere. I think it depends on where what the context is because uh, there are certain places where there's this sort of mom mentality was taking over and it was certain pockets. I right. wonder if it's because the clergymen kind of yes. uh, roused the mobs to do that maybe. Absolutely. And, and, I'm and, sure and, that had a big influence in a lot of areas. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so certain pockets and, and certainly like our sale and there's certain pockets of that puritanical sort of uh, location where this could potentially happen. Yeah, but... yeah. I guess in, in relation to the film, I would just say I would I would have a bone of contention with the exact with I, I feel like some there's some exaggeration on making it seem like because it works for the film to make people realize you know there was this you know well there was a widespread fear of Satanism and witchcraft and everything but I think that the film makes it seem probably far worse than it was. Yeah, well, you, you remember, like I mentioned, that the Criterion materials did did say that a lot of the sources based on is not exactly, you know, hundred percent fact. Especially the twenty eleven edition of fact checking. <laughs> Looking back, anyways, because we also know more. There's a more depth of knowledge oh, of we have course. now. Now of compared course. to then, when even when he was doing it. Yes, but regardless, course. I think the, the the I think we all agreed that this movie is a great take on just oh. the the whole notion of uh, misrepresenting, like somebody accusing somebody of doing something oh, they yeah. didn't do, and that like that part. I feel like this director did a very stellar, very, well. very, very stellar well. job of doing that, yes. presenting and communicating. So that's kind Absolutely. of uh, my parting thoughts is that it's kind of like that. It's a very well done piece of communication uh i i feel like i've only scratched the surface too just my own view and i feel like it, it'll of take the me, subject matter or the film the the movie and the subject matter it, it uh yeah. it has inspired i don't know if i'll have time but i almost almost makes me wish when i take that book out and actually read it. Yeah. <laughs> almost <laughs> i don't know if i'm gonna have time to read it but uh that's that's the thing i joke with julia about is like if like in silent movies, like if you're watching it, it's fine. But then you cross the line if you start reading books. <laughs> so like in the beginning, there was this uh, Kevin Brownlow book. It's called um, what's it called again? Uh, 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 the parade goes by. As the parade goes by, that's right. It was referencing a movie, and the silent film star he was interviewing said, "Yeah, this this era's over. We're dying." Is like the parade going by or something like that, and that's how the title came along. Hmm. And he interviewed like. He had primary research, hand-to-hand, face-to-face interview with people like Buster Keaton, Chaplin, the works, like all wow. these big giants of – because they were still alive in the 60s when he wow. wrote the book. So there's a book called uh, As the Parade Goes By. Yeah. It's uh, it's one of the big fat books, they call it. It's about 600, 700, 800 pages. What's great about it, it, it really zooms in on uh, – anyways, I read that book and I was like, oh, man, I've crossed that line. <laughs> from from just the amateur armchair critic into like people, person who's reading books about it that's the into line the, I, I thought i would never cross but apparently diving I deep yeah and i i don't want to cross more but apparently i might have to take this book <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to read this. 
Um, Deeper anyway. into the woods. I know, just into the uh, what's it called the the, the rabbit hole, as it were. Yep, that's which it. I just read recently too, Alice in Wonderland. Oh. And it's related. It's related to silent films because there was a few silent films about Alice and Alice in Wonderland, which we might we may or may not get to because most of silent movies are lost. Ninety percent is lost. And so it's astonishing. Like this director, Benjamin Kreisenson, he's uh, he's he made probably over ten features, and only this one, which is good because it's one of his best, and also I think Mysterious X is on uh, YouTube. But other than that, it's in bits and pieces. Some of his other films, people just didn't preserve it. They just like it melted mm. down for nitrate, or if a movie's been remade, they'll say the newer one's better. <laughs> yeah. Because they don't want the old one lying around. You know, like um, Wizard of Oz, they made a black and white silent movie version. I don't know if you know that. No. Yeah, they made one. And they, when the new one came out, they're like, oh, don't watch that one. I haven't watched the new one. It's got color and sound. Mm. <laughs> right? Newer newer, and better, always. Um, wow. Okay. So that can uh, essentially be our uh, our week for uh, right. for this particular... Well, Go it's ahead. nice to be here, guys. Thank you for having me aboard. Yes, thank you very much course, for, yeah. for signing on and helping us review and tackle this quite complicated topic as the first I do movie hope for you. you invite me back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Lily, thank you very much again for uh, hopping on and uh, spending a uh, a uh, very long day, I'm sure, for you. At the end of a long day for you. And, it is uh, all good. Thank you. <laughs> yes. So, and for the listeners, thank you very much for listening to us. And as always, we uh, always highly recommend that you leave uh, a comment or feedback or review on uh, Apple Podcasts and wherever you are getting this podcast from, whichever platform you're from, and or you're down- li- downloading or listening this from. And uh, if you leave a comment, it actually allows other enthusiasts um, and people who are interested in sound films to find us. Uh, in in a more optimized and better way, more efficient way, and to find sort of the past um, archives of all of our podcasts, please visit uh, watchingsilentfilms.com. Dot plur- sorry, I messed that up. Let me try again. <laughs> it's like amateur hour today. Watchingsilentfilmsplural.wordpress.com. Again, that's watchingsilentfilmsplural.wordpress.com, and there you'll find all of our past archives. And uh, thank you again, everyone. Thanks for listeners. And thank you, Bob and Lily. And we'll chat again soon. Thank you. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye.